My name's Fran. I do not work here. I used to work here. It's a privilege, though, to be able, invited back sometimes, to preach. So welcome to all of you. Good to see you. Did you all know that October 15th to 21st was National Character Counts Weeks? Week? Oh, no, you didn't. Um, a friend of mine from England was the one who made me aware of this, something on his Facebook page, which makes me wonder what in the world he was trolling to find it out. But let me read a little bit about National Character Counts Week to you. We celebrate National Character Count Weeks because few things are more important than cultivating strong character in all our citizens, especially our young people. This week, we reflect on the character of determination, resolve, and honor that makes us proud to be American. Character is built slowly. Our actions, often done first out of duty, become habits ingrained in the way we treat others and ourselves. We must always work to cultivate strength of character in our nation's youth. I'm, I'm skipping through this. It's pretty long. And as we strive every day to improve our character and that of our nation, we pause and thank those individuals whose strength of character has inspired us and who have provided a supporting hand in time of need. Character is refined by our choices, large and small, and manifested in what we do and we think no one is paying attention. We applaud families as they perform the often thankless task of raising men and women of character. Now, therefore, I, Donald J. Trump, President of the United States of America, by virtue of the authority invested in me by the Constitution, do proclaim October 15th to 21st National Character Counts Week. Remarkable silence. I'm proud of y'all. <laughs> I had fun wondering what the reaction would be in reading that. And I had my retort already for you about character doesn't bend down to the lowest common denominator and that no one has ever been changed by having their character ridiculed or through harassment. When I see the word character, the first quote that comes to my mind is another man who spoke in 1963 in the mall in Washington, D.C., who said he had a dream that someday his children would be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Martin Luther King. I looked for other quotes on character from famous people. I got, do or do not, there is no try. Yoda. I got, deeds will not be less valiant because they are unpraised. Anyone? Aragon. <laughs> Give you one more try. Every man dies, but not every man really lives. William Wallace, Braveheart. It was kind of sad when I looked at my list of quotes and realized most of them were fictional characters. Well, what we're going to be looking at today is a character that really did count. It's the character of the Apostle Paul. We've been going through the book of Acts 
And it seems like lately we've been kind of going through it every other week or so. I needed a grand review. Therefore, you're going to get the grand review of where we are in the book of Acts. Several chapters, weeks ago, Paul returned to the city of Jerusalem and the Jews were so angry with his preaching and his willingness to include Gentiles in the churches that he was establishing that they basically formed a mob against him, determined to kill him. And the irony is, with his own people forming a mob to kill him, he was rescued by the occupying Roman soldiers. Unfortunately, the soldiers arrested Paul, but that's probably what saved his life that night. And they quickly realized that even keeping Paul in prison in Rome was not going to be safe. There were assassination plots against him, and they didn't feel comfortable having him even as a prisoner in Jerusalem. Did I say Rome? If I did, that was wrong. So the arresting officer, the Roman commander in Jerusalem, decided... I'm going to send him to Caesarea. It's about 60 miles away. We'll let him be a prisoner under the authority of Governor Felix, the Roman governor. Well, the Jews followed right along and made their case to Felix about how Paul had... um, What they tried to do is they were opposed to Paul's theology. They didn't like him preaching that Jesus was Messiah. They didn't like the idea of a crucified Messiah. They didn't believe, many of them, the idea of a resurrected Messiah. And they really didn't like this idea of inclusion of Gentiles. So they tried to turn it into a political charge by claiming that Paul had started the riot. Paul was the one who was caught disturbing all the peace in this Roman province. So Paul was guilty of sedition, so Paul needed to die. But the Roman governor didn't buy it, fortunately. On the other hand... He thought if he kept Paul long enough, he'd at least get some sort of a bribe out of Paul to get out of prison. But no bribe was forthcoming from Paul. Two years went by, Paul in prison, no charges, no trial, and Felix the governor is now being replaced by a new guy, Festus the governor. Two years he's been in jail without charges, without a trial, in Caesarea, 60 miles or so from Jerusalem. Festus arrives in Israel, decides he's going to pay a courtesy call to the religious leaders in Jerusalem, and the first thing they do is bring up this whole idea of they want Paul. Paul's bad for Rome. Paul's bad for us. Paul causes riots. Paul's and Festus is like, I, I'm not Jewish. I don't really know what's going on here, but I, no, I'm not... I'm just going to back away from this a little bit until I know more about what's going on. Festus goes back to Caesarea and says, Paul, are you willing to go back to Jerusalem for trial? You've been here two years. Now, Paul is a Roman citizen, and he says, no. I appeal to Caesar, which is a right that every Roman citizen had to take their case straight to the Supreme Court, so to speak, in Rome, and have their case tried before the emperor Caesar himself. And Festus is like, crap. I've just gotten here. All I want to do is collect taxes, keep the peace, and get myself transferred out of the outer rim of the empire back into somewhere more civilized 
I can't send this guy off to Rome on some trumped-up religious charges. There's there's just nothing to charge him with. I'm going to look like an idiot who can't do his job. Paul was very smart in appealing to go to Rome, though. And he didn't mind prolonging his own imprisonment for a couple reasons. When he'd been converted, God spoke to him directly. This is way back in Acts. We studied this. And he said, Paul, you're going to take my message to Gentiles and to kings, as well as the people of Israel. So Paul had had all these years, 30-plus years, to anticipate, when do I get to speak to kings? And when Paul had been arrested in Jerusalem, knowing there were assassination plots against him two years ago, the Lord appeared to Paul and said, take courage. Just as you have been a witness for me here in Jerusalem, you must also preach the good news in Rome. Paul was the calmest fellow. He's like, okay, cool, I'm going to go to Rome. I wonder when I'm going to go to Rome. I wonder how I'm going to go to Rome. Two years on, he's like... Bingo, I can appeal to the emperor. They'll send me to Rome on their ticket. Not a very good ticket, though. But Festus is beside himself. Desecration of the temple, broken religious laws. What what the heck is going on here? He doesn't know. A few days later, Agrippa, the Jewish king, comes to pay a courtesy call on on the new governor comes with his sister, Bernice. And Festus is like, yes, Agrippa's a Jew. He's got to understand what's going on. He's going to help me unravel this. Great. Let me tell you a little bit about this Agrippa. His great, his full name was Herod Agrippa. His great-grandfather had been Herod the Great, who had put all the babies to death in Bethlehem after Jesus was born because the visiting magi had told him a new king had been born, a new Jewish king, so the Jewish king put to death all the Jewish babies. His grandfather, Herod Antipas, had been the one that had beheaded John the Baptist. And when Jesus was tried before Rome, Herod Antipas stayed out of the picture, said nothing. His father, Herod Agrippa I, killed the apostle Paul And when he saw how much it delighted the Jews, he imprisoned Peter. And now we have Herod Agrippa II and his sister Bernice. History has never been able to prove or disprove whether or not they were having an incestuous relationship. She had a lot of relationships. And the Jews considered him king. Rome considered him a very helpful puppet. Festus considered him to be just like Paul. He's Jewish, right? And these two guys could not have been farther apart in character. Agrippa would vacillate back and forth between siding with the Jews anytime it gave him favor in the Romans' eyes, carefully obeying the Roman rules, regardless of what happened to his people, the Jews, if it was for his self-advancement. There was nothing similar in the character of Agrippa and Paul. Ethnically, maybe they were both Jews. End of comparison right there. But 
Agrippa says, yeah, I've heard about this, Paul. I'd like to hear him. So one day, with great pomp and ceremony and pageantry, all the leading officials in Caesarea and all the military officials and Festus the governor and Agrippa the king and Bernice the whatever she was, besides his companion that day, all come in and sit down, take their places, and Paul is brought in before them. This isn't a trial, but it's an opportunity for Paul to explain himself. And so we're going to pick up the text now in Acts 26. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you may speak in your defense. So Paul, gesturing with his hand, started his defense. I'm fortunate, King Agrippa, that you are the one hearing my defense today against all these accusations made by Jewish leaders. For I know you are an expert on all Jewish customs and controversies. True. It was in his head. Now, please hear me patiently. As the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people and in Jerusalem. If they would admit it, they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. True, Paul had been in and out of Jerusalem since he was a kid. He studied under the best professors, so to speak, that he could as a teenager, and his enthusiasm for all things Jewish, was evident from such a young age. Let's go on. Now I am in trial because of my hope in the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. In fact, that's why the 12 tribes of Israel zealously worship God day and night, and they share the same hope I have. Yet, your majesty, they accuse me for having this hope. Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? So Paul gets right to it that what he's on trial for has nothing to do with sedition or crimes against Rome. He's on trial for believing in the Messiah, Jesus, crucified, resurrected, and able to save those who come to him in faith. But I love the way he just kind of casually throws this. And why does any of you think it's crazy that God can raise the dead? I mean, by definition, can't God do any of this? Let's go on. I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could do to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Now, this is back when he was, you know, young adult, late teens. He's probably 60 now. Authorized by the leading priests, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison, and I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. Other translations basically say I would use any means of torture necessary to get them to blaspheme. I was so violently opposed to them, I even chased them down to foreign cities. And I'm sitting here thinking, if I were in the audience, I'd be like, excuse me, Paul, Why are you bringing this up again? Why are you talking about all the horrendous things you did in the past? Why are you talking about torture, persecution, imprisonment, signing death warrants, false information about people, chasing them down in foreign cities? We're going to come back to that because it's the strangest thing to throw into a speech in front of a king and a governor that I can think of when you just keep that stuff quiet, Paul. He goes on. One day I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priests. 
About noon, your majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven brighter than the sun shone down upon me and my companions. We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Let's go on. Who are you, Lord, I asked. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you have seen me and tell them what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you both from your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. That's quite the testimony. King Agrippa, Governor Festus, I am on trial today because I am obeying what God told me to do when I saw him. And everything he told me, I say, is consistent with an understanding of the Old Testament scriptures that you follow. Let's go on. And so, King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, throughout all Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they must all repent of their sin and prove to God and turn to God and prove they have changed by the good things they do. He makes it sound so simple. So I obeyed. God told me to do it, so I obeyed. That obedience was so costly to Paul over the 30-plus years of his ministry. In Damascus, the Jews went after him, and he was lowered in a basket over the city walls to escape. He went to Jerusalem. He met the disciples, the apostles, and they said, oh, we're not falling for this trick. We're not letting you in. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Not after what you've been doing. This is a plot. This is a setup. So he wasn't even welcomed by his fellow believers the first time he went to Jerusalem. He went to city in Antioch, and he was expelled from the city. He went to Iconium. And they tried to stone him, but he, he escaped. He went to Lystra. He did not escape that time. He was stoned and left for dead. And his limp body taken back, and the disciples there nursed him back to health. He went to Philippi. He was arrested. They were set to flog him. They had him tied up to whip him. And when he explained he was a Roman citizen, he was able to get out of that situation. He escaped from a mob in Thessalonica. He got kicked out of the synagogue in Corinth. Riots formed around him in Ephesus. He had to leave there. And then he's back in Jerusalem, arrested in death threats and assassination plots again. So I obeyed. And the calmness with which he speaks these words, the simplicity of his understanding of his faith, just amazing. And these are the people, Jews and Gentiles, to whom he was sent. And this is how they responded to him. Many churches founded, many disciples made, great work carrying on in his absence after he leaves every city. But this is how many times his life has been threatened. I have a friend who is, for many years, a missionary in North India. Tough, tough field. And he would say, 
He's a real Forrest Gump kind of guy. He said, well, you know, when you're up to your neck in alligators, sometimes it's hard to remember you came to drain the swamp. That's so true. But this was Paul's mission. To bring light into darkness. The power of God, whether rather than the manacles that Satan would place around a person's mind and life. And nothing, nothing was going to stop him from preaching this message of forgiveness and a place among God's people. And that place was regardless of one's background. That forgiveness was regardless of one's past, regardless of ethnicity, nationality, economic status, forgiveness and inclusion because of the Messiah Christ is what Paul was sent to preach. That's what he was going to preach. Suddenly Festus shouted, Paul, you're insane. Too much study has made you crazy. And you wonder why all of a sudden did Festus just react? Was he embarrassed? This is what he's showing to Agrippa? Was he convicted? Back when Felix was governor, Felix would bring Paul in front of him, let him give a little speech, hoping he'd also offer a bribe. And Paul was talking one night about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. And Felix is like, that's enough! Ended the audience just as abruptly as Festus ends this one now. You're a maniac, Paul. All this stuff about prophecy and resurrection, Festus can't comprehend this at all. So all he can do is interrupt and just stop this maniac. What is it? Visions, dead men walking, unity among Jews and Gentiles. You got to be crazy. There's nothing logical in what you're saying, Paul. And your very calmness shows me you don't understand that with a single signature, you could be dead. I could have you killed. Agrippa's recommendation could have you killed. And all you want to do is preach about forgiveness and unity. You've got to be crazy, Paul. Let's go on. But Paul replied, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is the sober truth. And King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak boldly, for I am sure these events are all familiar to him. They weren't done in a corner. They were not done secretly. This is public knowledge. Festus, you're new to town. So maybe the news hasn't reached you yet coming from Rome. But since, since Agrippa was born, there has been Christianity and groups worshiping the Lord Jesus. And the whole story of his death and his resurrection is out there. It's public, historical fact. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And Agrippa interrupted him. Do you think you can persuade me so quickly to become a Christian? Man, these guys can't take it. They're just buckling under Paul. Who's on trial here? This is awesome. I love this. And Paul replied, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am, except for these chains. That's the, that is the verse that gripped me more than any other. Because I think if I were on trial or even in an audience of mucky mucks like this, 
if any words came out of my mouth, they would not be a confession of the crimes I'd committed in the past. They would not be theological dogmatism that was obviously going to alienate them. What is going on with Paul? And what what does he want people to become like? Let's go on. Then the king, the governor, Bernice, and all the others stood up and left. They couldn't take it anymore. As they went out, they talked about it over, over. They talked it over and agreed. This man hasn't done anything to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, he could have been set free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. And I envision this scene sort of like people trying to cover up how scared they are when they're confronted with the truth. Like, oh, well, yeah, I just can't do anything about it. I mean, if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, we could have let him go. But now our hands are tied. You know, we, oh, you know poor guy, poor crazy guy. I think they're totally under conviction. I really do. And Paul says, I wish you would all be like me. Agrippa is actually the third one to declare Paul innocent in this whole thing. The arresting officer back in Jerusalem knew he hadn't done anything wrong. But he arrested him just to keep him safe overnight, and then he got him out of town. And Felix had said, this guy hasn't done anything wrong, but maybe if I hold him long enough, he or someone else will give me some money to let him go. And now Agrippa is saying, the man's innocent. So why didn't Agrippa just speak up and say, hey, my bro, my Jew, like me, let him go. Come on, do us a little favor, Festus. But no, not Agrippa, because... If he got the Jews angry, they could cause his downfall. And if he got the Romans upset, they could cause his downfall. And if there's one thing that Agrippa was sure wasn't going to happen, I mean, he was not going to lose in this. You know, some podunk Jew named Paul who wants to claim he wants to see Caesar can lose, but I'm not losing in this. But I'm just so taken by that verse. I wish you would all be like me. Agrippa was just the opposite. He didn't preach, I mean, he did not practice the faith he claimed to hold. He had enough earthly privilege to think he didn't really need God. He loved to be admired, but he wasn't going to show any admiration of his Lord. And he was cowardly. And in many ways, he's like us. Because we are willing to sit on the fence and keep our mouths shut. If speaking out as a believer is going to cause some discomfort in our life. We're willing to, we like to be admired for our piety, but please don't expect me to carry it on 24-7. I mean, when I'm here at Scum on a Sunday night, I can muster it up for a couple hours. Just don't ask me what I'm doing at 11 o'clock tonight or 2 o'clock on Wednesday morning. But we like to be admired for our piety. And I definitely call on God when I've exhausted my resources and I need something. We're sadly like Agrippa too often. But rather than uh, dwell on the negative, I want to look at Paul's character. What are some of those things that he might want us to be like him in? The first one, going back to his, he just stands up and talks about what he did to Christians when he was an ardent young Jew fanatic. He was unashamed of his past. 
He wants us to be like him in that way because Paul knew he was forgiven and welcomed by God. Agrippa wasn't willing to confront any of his sins. Paul just repented of all of them, just put it out on the table and repent of all of them. And while Agrippa had to prop up the status quo in order to preserve his own position, I mean, just think of the 180 Paul did when he converted. From putting Christians in prison to being the Christian in prison. He went from these two years in Caesarea to at least two years of imprisonment in Rome. Didn't bother him. God told him he was going to go to Rome, so this was a good way to go to Rome. I'm going to go to Rome. I'm going to talk to the emperor. Paul's humility in seeking forgiveness from the horrific way he had treated believers earlier in his life is something that's it is hard for us to do. We don't we don't want to we don't want to confess to ourselves. We don't want to confess to others. We don't want to confess to God. But the beautiful thing is when we confess to God, hopefully if we share with another believer, God's forgiveness isn't partial and it's not grudging. And Paul knew he could be holy. I think a lot of us carry around in, in our minds the idea that, well, yeah, I, I know I'm forgiven, but I'm still damaged goods. I'm, I'm still not good enough for. I'm forgiven, but I'm not redeemed all the way. And Paul is like, oh, no, I'm, God is not partial in his forgiveness. I am forgiven. I am clean. I am not damaged goods. I can talk openly about my past because my present is with the Lord Jesus. And he knew he was welcomed by God. He didn't have to crawl into God's presence. He could run into the presence of God and speak fervently about the Lord, even to the point of saying other people ought to imitate him. Adam put it this way a couple weeks ago in saying, our very lives are a hymn of praise to our Father. I can't carry a tune, so to consider my life a hymn of praise is a pretty amazing metaphor for me. God has given us purpose and identity, and our identity in Christ should make us radically different from what we were in the world. And God doesn't hang on to that. So Paul was unashamed, knowing he was fully forgiven, fully welcomed by God. Next, Paul had a single-minded focus that sometimes drove people nuts, but Agrippa was like a chameleon. If he needed to do this to please the Romans, fine. If he needed to do the opposite the next day to please the Jews, he would. He wasn't sure. He had to stay in power, what he had to wear, who he had to talk to, where he had to go. Paul was just like, got to focus. Jesus and the kingdom of God. If you're not familiar with our little, that's our church motto, by the way. Scum of the Earth Church is an outpost on the perimeter of God's kingdom, finding redemption in Jesus Christ. And Paul was single-mindedly focused on spreading that message of salvation in Jesus Christ wherever he went, however, whatever it took. I'm supposed to go to Rome as a prisoner? Okay, I'm supposed to go to Rome, so I can go as a prisoner. Looking to others' well-being, others well 
being more concerned about Felix and Festus and Agrippa and Bernice and everybody in that audience coming to Christ than saving his own hide or getting out of prison. When Paul was in Rome, he wrote a letter to the people in Philippi, and he said, I am so glad I'm here because, you know, every soldier here that surrounds me hears the gospel, and they could be deployed anywhere in the empire tomorrow. And every bigwig official who sees me, brings me in for an audience, they go back to their homes. They've all heard the gospel. They're bringing it with them. This is awesome being in Rome. So single-minded. So persistent. National Geographic years and years ago did a special on Paul, and they estimated that he covered about 12,000 miles in his life in ministry. That's walking for the most part. Some ships probably couldn't afford an animal, definitely didn't have trains, planes, and buses. That's persistence in ministry. That's a heck load of miles to travel. And this single-minded focus, knowing his purpose and his identity, made any circumstances secondary, and not necessarily an obstacle to fulfilling his purpose, but a means of fulfilling his purpose. I think we can look at that, too. I just thought of that right now, that sometimes we think, well, I'm stuck home with kids. Wow, so are a lot of your other mom friends. Yeah, I'm in this crap job. Yeah, well, so are all the people working with you in that crap place. You know, we, we want our circumstances to be our excuse not to be our best, rather than saying these are the circumstances in which God has put you because he can shine through you in those circumstances. So single-minded purpose, regardless. One more way. I'd like to see us, or Paul, I think, would like to see us imitate him. Well, okay, three. Fearless, confident, hope-filled. When I say he knew his theology, he knew God. He really knew God. He didn't just know religion. He knew God. He'd studied this stuff. He talked to God. He'd lived it. And he knew his destiny was eternal life with God, Christ being the first resurrected, all believers going to be resurrected to be with the Father. What is to worry about down here if that's my destiny? If that's what's going to happen sooner or later, I get to be with Jesus. Paul wasn't going to worry about whether it was this week or in 20 years. Paul wrote at one point when I'm in Rome again, he wrote to his younger buddy, Timothy, and said, Because I preach the good news, I'm suffering and have been chained like a criminal, but the word of God cannot be chained. He knew he was dealing with the supernatural here. It's like Festus didn't get that. Festus was like, this makes no sense. Dead men don't walk. Who, this, nobody gets raised from the dead. This doesn't happen. Agrippa got what he wanted from Rome by sucking up to them. Paul got what he wanted from Rome. By suffering. It's like, God told me to go talk to the emperor. And you're going to pay my ticket to get there? We're going to do this. Paul was, his whole life was just integrated. It wasn't fragmented or compartmentalized. Um, all of it belonged to God. There was nothing he saved back and said, they better not let God see this. Or nothing he said, well, I'm hanging on to that because I just might need this 
ace up my sleeve. It was all God's. And so his mind was not the slightest bit fragmented, and he could be hopeful because of that, just the unity of his own mind with the unity of the heart of Christ. Adam called it a living faith, a purity of purpose, every aspect of your life and character being about Jesus and his kingdom. And so, yeah, he was crazy, crazy calm in an audience like this and crazy unworried about remaining a prisoner. Um, next week when I think it's Mike is going to be preaching, you know, spoiler, shipwreck. Crazy unworried about being in a shipwreck. Come back for that one. Hephaestus wasn't the only one to find this entire story unbelievable. And Agrippa wasn't the only one to find it just dangerous. I mean, this really upset the apple cart. If Paul's confident faith in Christ was the true way of relationship with God. I think people then and people now, they need to see the proof of the words. The words themselves aren't enough. But seeing the proof of the words in a person can be downright scary. That's enough. I'll talk to you later. You must be mad. End of audience. But I think even today, you know, if, if you're here and you're skeptical about Christianity, I honestly don't expect you to go out and, you know, fall on your face and convert because words you heard in a sermon. But I sure hope you are rattled by the love and compassion and consistency that you see among other people here at SCUM. And if you call yourself a believer, I hope you show such consistency, living faith, kindness, love, characteristics of God, that it does rattle other people. And even if they throw it back in your face, you continue with love and compassion and patience with them. This is what we need. We need to be like Paul. Um, Seeing ourselves as valued and forgiven, welcomed citizens of the kingdom, without taking a day off, without keeping an area out of touch from God, but being all in. Regardless of the circumstances we come from or the circumstances it lands us in, all in. Paul is a great example of Christian living. Agrippa is a sad example of compromised faith and fake religion. And so I pray that we can be like Paul, become like Paul, unashamed, fearless, confident, single-minded focus, living in all that God has for us.